Welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio, and today we are here to discuss episode 10 of season one of Six Feet Under titled The New Person. Today I'm here with guest co-host Michelle Danielson, who is a licensed funeral director in the state of California. Michelle? Hi. Hi, Michelle. Uh, We were talking before we started recording and I was trying to remember how I found you before... Before I started the podcast, I kind of just branched out to anyone who had typed six feet under somewhere. And as we were talking, trying to remember how I got in touch with you, you brought up that you had an article you did. You written a piece for, looks like, bustle.com. Yes, yeah. I was contacted by them uh, in September to write an article just kind of detailing my life as a funeral director and how I got into it and what I do. And it was published in early October. So that was really exciting. Cool, cool. And what, what do you think is the easiest way someone could find that article? Um, I have it up here at bustle.com. I guess... Well, I think if you just go straight to bustle.com, you're going to have to scroll through the lifestyle. Hey guys, I just wanted to drop a line here. We recorded this prior to the website for the podcast being released. So I highly recommend the article if you're interested in mortuary science or becoming a funeral director. Uh, Please go to the website at diggingpodcast.com and scroll to the bottom of the page. And I'll have the link to Michelle's article on there. And if you're listening in the future, just go to this episode's page on the website and you'll be able to read it there as well. All right, cool. Yeah, so that's an easy way to find it. All right, very cool, very cool. Michelle, to give people a background on you, and if you wouldn't mind, just tell us how long you've been licensed and, I guess, your involvement in the funeral industry so, you know, people could kind of understand where you're coming from. Definitely. So I have been a licensed director for about a year now, and before that, in the state of California, you don't have to be a licensed funeral director to meet with families. So I was what's called a funeral arranger. Um, And it's basically the same job, just without the license. And (laughs) (laughs) then before that, I was a removal technician when I was living in Oregon. So I've done a lot of first calls. (laughs) (laughs) And just to inform people, first calls is just sort of your family, let's say your nursing home, hospital, whatever, calls you and says X person has died. You are the first one to show up to remove that person to bring them to your facility. Yes. That being said, if you wouldn't mind, you know, like it's always fascinating to hear other funeral directors. I mean, it's fascinating to hear anyone's perspective on the show, Mm -hmm. but there's a special tint when, you know, there's a funeral director involved. So what has your experience or your history with the show we're doing Six Feet Under? What has that been like? Well, I had no idea that it existed before I expressed interest in uh, being in this business. So (laughs) when I was in high school and I said, oh, I'd really like to be a funeral director, people asked, have you seen Six Feet Under? And I didn't have any idea what that was. And Mm -hmm. once I started mortuary school, um, I downloaded a whole bunch of it and I like binge watched the whole thing. 
Um, and not having had really, this is before I started my removal job too. So really not having had any experience in the industry, I kind of took it as, oh, wow, that's what it's like. And, (laughs) and then when I started, I was like, oh, so kind of, but not really. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, the show does a great job of, I guess, letting you know, letting you behind the curtain as much as possible. Yeah. But not boring you down with the details of you know sort of having to be there at 7 or 8 a.m getting the funeral home open and ready and yeah exactly uh, you know it doesn't show you a a family who won't you know their visitations from seven to nine but they're not leaving at nine (laughs) they don't they don't show you that part of it and i guess i guess what's fun about doing this podcast is i could you know let them behind that curtain uh per se but all right cool if we could get into it yeah uh, this episode we're doing, The New Person, uh, this is actually another episode directed by Kathy Bates. She did one earlier, I believe episode five, and she actually becomes a character later on in the series. So just a interesting nugget to start off. This episode aired on August 5th, 2001, and our death capsule starts out with a, I think it's a pretty funny death. Uh, I imagine if you are a certain age and you've been in a relationship, you can totally relate to this. Uh, (laughs) This could have easily been a dream sequence, you know, the way Six Feet Under does these type of scenes. Uh, To set it up, we have Jonathan Haley, who is just yapping on and on about his day and, you know, the totally catonic uh, comatose miss hanley is just sort of cooking him breakfast not saying a word uh at the height of jonathan's story and once she's finished cooking breakfast she just takes the pan sort of cartoonish like and you know just smacks him across the head and he kind of jumps out of his chair and dies um, yeah and she goes right into eating breakfast like nothing ever happened <laughs> yes yes yeah. that's right <laughs> like 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 not like she literally just did not totally just kill a person no nope. right into eating her breakfast yeah and actually a little bit relieved as well <laughs> yeah 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 I, I mean as much uh emotion as the as she does not show Yes, you get that little sense of relief, (laughs) relief rather. You know, something here that I I think would be interesting to people listening to this podcast. Um, I'm a funeral director, obviously, and I am awful at small talk. And what I mean by that is like Jonathan, he's just going on telling a story. Uh, I'm someone who's somewhat quiet and I don't do a lot of like storytelling or just uh, uh, how do I say releasing your day Mm -hmm. about a story, you know. I imagine people listening to this find that odd as I'm doing a podcast and I'm talking. I, I don't know. I just never been able to facilitate small talk. That doesn't mean I would do what Mrs. Hanley does. Um, I but, hope you know, not. I could, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and I could imagine how someone, after that many years of marriage, I could imagine how, you know, what, why, why it would drive her to that point. You know, in our industry, you have to be able to facilitate small talk. Mm-hmm. I'm just not someone who's able to do that. Uh, I, I guess it would be in any job, right? Any job that where you're dealing with people, you have to be able to facilitate that small talk. Oh, definitely. I, I just feel like I'm awkward in that scenario. Are you someone who's good at that? Uh, listening to him? <laughs> I don't. It. I'm really good. I'm a really good listener. So people can talk and talk and talk to me and I will listen all day. But when it comes to the point where I have to interject something or add, you know, like 
you're telling me this story about all the boring things that happened in your day. I don't really know what I'm supposed to say in response to that. So in that sense, I feel the same way you do. I'm pretty bad at small talk as well. Yeah. And you know what? Let, let me add too, because I am a great listener and, and you know, what, what's kind of code word there is I am good at just letting you keep on speaking and I will just sit there and listen to you. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Uh, but back to the show. And I think there's a purpose why they do this. There's a direct correlation between how Jonathan talks and how our new person, Angela, the funeral director is yes. know, sort of just like a enough already <laughs> <laughs> yeah. vibe vibe to her um our episode starts out with the fisher brothers and they are examining jonathan's body the guy who just died and talking about how the wife killed him and you know it's funny here and kind of just how we we're talking that and it's relatable that something i imagine all people feel is that you have the fear that you are boring yeah um, you know, unless you have an insane ego, there's <laughs> there's always that worry that you are a boring person, despite what, you know, what other people tell you or where you are in your relationships, you know? Yeah, I definitely. Little, little, I totally yeah. agree with you on that. I mean, it's hard to really be honest with yourself and think, is that story really worth sharing or should I just keep my mouth shut? Am I being really boring right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, and I want, like, I wonder if you had... If you were able to, let's just say, talk to this Jonathan character and just ask him complete honesty, you know, do you think you're boring? Like you're this this inane, redundant story you're telling. Do you think you're boring? I wonder how many people think that. You know, I I I'm someone I think I like I think I'm boring. And despite I could tell you stories of you know you we could tell stories of our job, but again I guess it circles back to I just don't like telling the stories and whatnot. Um, yeah, I just wonder how many people would be honest, just like how you said and. Am I boring? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think most people, if they're asking themselves, are they boring? They're, I, they're probably going to lean toward, yeah, I'm probably boring. Because, you know, you're stuck w in your head and with yourself all day. So yeah, at a certain yeah. point, you know, you kind of have to assume, yeah, I'm probably pretty boring. But uh, <laughs> when you ask other people, of course, they're not going to be like, yeah, you're really boring. You know, they're going <laughs> to most right, right. unless they're really mean. But most of the time yeah. people are, oh, no, you're fine. Yeah, there's <laughs> always that level of, no, no, you're not boring at yeah, all. Yeah, no. <laughs> and then you get years and years and then what Miss Hanley does ends up happening. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fishers are in need of hiring a new funeral director as the workload has become too much for them. And I, I, something here, as you know, I always like to say, I like to let people behind the curtain of the funeral industry. Something probably don't think about is the hiring of funeral directors. You know, they're just, uh, you know, we're, we are out there, directors, and I don't know, I don't know of many funeral directors who can't find a job. Uh huh. But, and, and something this show always does, and it's funny, it happens once or twice an episode, that the show dates itself. This yeah. show is 16 years old, and what's funny here is they're talking about how they have an ad in the paper. Yeah. And I mean, 2001, and it's 2016, and that definitely skews my view here. But would there even be like I, I, I guess I guess someone older in, in the business could tell us, but I can't imagine an ad under the classifieds under you know automotive technician, secretary, uh, whatever, there'd just be a funeral director. I know. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I can't 
I can't even imagine that because I found my jobs, you know, the first one I found was kind of by happenstance, but this most recent one, I went online and look, there's a funeral director position open. Great, let me apply. But it has to be something, I would imagine, very specific that you're searching for. Well, I, I, I think that's that's actually great what you just said because I feel like the only two ways you can get a job today, talking 2016, the only way you can get a job in the industry is word of mouth. Yes. Meaning, you know, hey, I know this position open. Uh, e- even within directors, you know, I've I've worked at I've worked at funeral homes, left funeral homes, and I've always gotten my next job through word of mouth. Um, and then the other way is just like any other in- industry today is the online. You know, you could you could go to the popular whatever the the corporate funeral home uh, websites and they'll have your job listings there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's exactly it's word of mouth. Or I, I just I I and again maybe an older funeral director could tell us different, but I just can't imagine I, what the ad would say. Yeah, know? I can't either, and I can only try to imagine the people who are not looking for that job <laughs> reading the description like they're what what they want what <laughs> just your regular Joe reading the paper probably right, is right. going to be shocked by that. <laughs> I'm just a picture picturing like the red circle, you know, and it's like delivery <laughs> driver or something. And then it's like, you know, funeral director. Um, <laughs> we meet Angela, who becomes the new funeral director that the Fishers hire. And again, it's for TV purposes, but <laughs> I mean, good God, would I not hire her? Um, oh, man. It's funny what we do for a living. And, you know, there's such a fine line of enjoying what you do. Uh-huh. And then going over that line into creepy. Oh, um, definitely. I've, I've said it before on the podcast and Angela in, enthralls in this. Um, I've never met a funeral director as passionate as Rico is in the earlier episodes. And I've never met a funeral director as passionate as Angela is. If, if Angela sat down, if I was interviewing and Angela sat down, I'd say you're, you're I don't know. But you know what I mean? It's just a fine line because... You are way too passionate about this job for you, <laughs> right? I mean, what do you Yeah, how no. How do you feel? I think that initially when she interviewed, she did a great job, right? Cuz everyone else that they interviewed was crazy or about to have a panic attack and just made mm-hmm. them all seem really weird. And she seemed like the most normal one out of the bunch. And then when she actually gets going, I don't I don't necessarily know if I would say she's too passionate. I just think that she um, didn't care so much about boundaries. <laughs> she definitely doesn't care about boundaries. The, the, line, the line I was referring to where I just thought way too passionate was, and again, you know, we're talking about a television show and she's placed right next to the two directors before her who are just crazy. I don't know her first line that we introduce her is she said that when she when she's embalming she feels like she's at home. Yeah. I mean just just being having been on interviews and whatnot. I, I don't know. I, I could never bring myself to say that. <laughs> I, I, I I say I I do say I like embalming and I do I truly enjoy embalming. Uh huh. I just wouldn't I wouldn't divide my feelings into I feel like at home when I'm embalming. Um, yeah, I definitely wouldn't have said anything like that either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely not. I personally love embalming. I think it's 
an art and a science and to put those two things together and really know that you're helping someone to restore someone. I love that. I love embalming. But I also, like you were saying, I wouldn't go into an interview and be like, I feel at home when I'm embalming. Like, that's just, that is a little weird. Right. That, that's a little too passionate. Uh, but, but to go on your comment, I am someone, I, I want to say, in the industry, I, I guess, and maybe this is reckless of me, you could kind of divide funeral directors into, I guess there's three categories. There's people who kind of don't embalm at all. There are people who do embalm and then there's people who do both and when i say both they do you know they meet with families they take out funerals and they embalm yeah Uh, i am someone because i and i've mentioned on previous episodes i used to do a trade so i I would just only be doing removals embalming or cosmetology i and people ask me i truly enjoy embalming and i can't sit here and say all these other people they are weird because they're so passionate about their job. And then the next thing that comes out of my mouth is I truly enjoy embalming. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but you had said it perfect that there's such a, there's such a, um, uh, I'm, I'm lacking the word here, but it, it's a good feeling to be able to restore someone or, you know, just, just, just the embalming process is help me out here. What's the word? Um, Tranquility. I don't know. Um, well, yeah, I'm, that definitely is part of it. it. In a way, and this, okay, now I'm going to sound like a weirdo too. But I mean, let's just get weird. Go yeah, ahead, let's yeah. just be weird. So, in a way, <laughs> it's um, it's really peaceful. Like, yes, peaceful, peaceful, yeah. peaceful. Thank you. That's the word I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, so peaceful. people, I mean, when you say, yeah, embalming, they probably wouldn't assume that it would be a peaceful thing. I know most people would probably assume that it's gross and it's strange what you do and. I guess for a lot of people, it is strange to think of doing that. But when that's something that you're passionate about and you, you're you good at it, it does. it is kind of a peaceful process. And you can kind of not let your mind wander, but it's it's usually it's pretty quiet in there. And you can really think and focus on what you're doing. And you don't have to worry about everything else that's going on. And, and, I, and I touched on this on a previous episode where while uh it's either david or rico while they're embalming the you know with six feet under does this sort of thing where the the they'll portray the deceased as talking to them uh-huh. and they're just kind of unloading their problems and i just said how a, a, as weird as it sounds when i'm embalming yes it's peaceful because i'm not talking to the person but in my head i'm just going over stuff uh, you get to a certain point in embalming where you kind of you're, you're going through the motions but you're 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 still doing the best i i get like like driving when you're driving you're not 1000 percent focused on every single detail but while you're driving your mind could kind of just wander and you whatever you go through stuff in your head yeah the same i feel like can be said about embalming and yeah there's just a certain tranquility or peacefulness to it and to be even more honest and it's something we'll get into later in the episode but i'm someone i don't know how you are i'm someone who pops in a bluetooth in my ear and i'll listen to podcasts while doing so and doing that has sort of led me to where we are today into oh. you know doing my own podcast you know very um, cool it's it's been how i've you know, I've knocked out so many podcasts over the years and music, but music to me at a certain point is enough too much. But yeah, yeah I've always I've always just enjoyed being able to pop in a Bluetooth and embalm. 
as weird as that sounds and everything, it's, it's just... It's not that know. weird. <laughs> I, yeah. I I usually listen to music when I'm doing it, too. It's not anything, like, crazy and fast-paced, I don't think, anyway. Right. But normally it's kind of peaceful, folksy rock, and I can just mm-hmm. kind of listen to that and do my thing. And, yeah, I'm there with you on that. I wonder how people receive that because, first of all embalming is nowhere near as gruesome or as uh yeah gruesome or gory as people think oh no it's really not you know so us talking about enjoying embalming i I wonder how that someone receives that outside of the business and david is vacuuming the chapel and i don't know if you know but it's pretty well known that michael c hall actually had started out as a theater actor yes i did know that you didn't know that and there's moments in the show where he gets to put that on full display he does uh, yeah his little broadway scene. it's great it's great and you know I, I i wouldn't say my mind goes to this expansion but when i'm happy i'm sort of doing that you know i'm doing <laughs> such a mundane task like just vacuuming but in my head i'm wailing out to some song or playing guitar or whatever but I, I i totally and it's something that six feet Unders does so great is is it's just a scene like this you know in his head he's vacuuming but in his head he's it's this elaborate broadway play in the funeral chapel yeah <laughs> <You know>? seriously <laughs> no i know um for most people if that was the first episode they saw they would probably watch it and be like what on earth is happening but once you get to know the character and like invested in it it makes more sense and i yeah. know i'm i'm pretty much the same i but i'm usually singing out loud not just in my head <laughs> you're not doing it quietly right, right. yeah so um as long as no one's around <laughs> I'm, right. usually i'm pretty vocal about it whereas he's just imagining <laughs> yeah i mean the, the scene sort of end well uh, his little broadway scene cuts cut where he's just staring at the vacuum yeah um you know but in his head he's in this euphoria uh-huh um Nate, Brenda, Billy, and their parents, and Ruth and Nikolai are at. I I I I, I switch between calling it an art gallery or an art gala. Do you have a better description of what this Billy's public pictures uh, display art uh, gala? Could we go probably it's a gala because it, it's like it's an opening night or something like that. It mm-hmm, seems mm-hmm. like anyway. Okay, we'll we'll go with art gala, and. It's weird. As, as you know, two people who just talked about how much they enjoy embalming, this whole family dynamic is so weird. Um, I am someone who doesn't get art. My mind isn't sophisticated enough to interpret, you know, the pictures we see on the wall. Um, and along the same lines, I still don't know. It's been a common thread these few episodes where I don't know how to interpret Brenda's family's dynamic, you know. There's <laughs> yeah. When, Brenda, when Brenda's mother, Margaret, comes into the scene, she kind of whispers something real intimate to Billy. Uh-huh. And it's like, it's just so weird, this, you know, this entire dynamic family. I mean, I, I don't like to be like this, but can I just say that I really hate all of them? <laughs> like, they're the worst characters. Every scene with Billy and Brenda, I just... I cannot stand those people. And everyone that I've watched this show with agrees. They all hate those two. <laughs> I've never yet, I've yet to come across someone who's, you know, oh, I love Brenda. Yeah, um, no one. No one loves Brenda. I don't even think she loves herself. 
there's <laughs> yeah I, I i think you're right there there's just a dynamic that goes on between the family that i just can't interpret i i just don't know if my mind's not old enough or whatnot uh it, it's always been as many times as i watched this show it's always been sort of I, I was never able to digest it with everything else. Uh-huh. I could follow everyone else's characters, story arcs. I just don't get this. I don't get the mother being so intimate. You know, I don't want to give spoilers. and We don't talk about further seasons, but the entire family relationship gets stranger. If I can't interpret it now, I have no idea how I'm going to interpret it later on. Yeah, it just, <laughs> yeah. it just gives weird. you a really, I mean, it gives me anyway, a, just a really uncomfortable feeling. Everything about that whole scene at the gala and then everything about their entire relationship, all of them together, it just makes me really uncomfortable. And that's funny you say that. And I know we're funeral directors, but you got to if you take someone, you know, take a normal person who's not in the industry watching this, they have, you know, in a show about death and embalming. This is what makes people more uncomfortable than you know, the whole death part. I know. <laughs> I <laughs> that's know. just crazy, you know? Yeah, it really opens up for me when we see <laughs> Billy had snapped a shot of Nate peeing on a wall. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. It can't be said enough how weird Billy is. Uh, I mean, he's literally stalking him to the point where he's taking a picture of him peeing. Yeah. Um, it's a TV show, but... How didn't Nate see him when he snapped his shot? Okay, you know? really? Yeah, some guy, <laughs> obviously, some guy that you know well and you already feel uncomfortable and weird about is following you around with a camera and you're not going to notice. And he's so close. Yeah, he's like right behind him. How did he pe- not notice this? And, and if anyone who's listening, if you, if I could just put you in the mindset, you're about to pee in public, what's the <laughs> first thing you do besides your normal you're about to do whatever the first thing you do is check both ways right look (laughs) behind you look (laughs) all around you and make sure no one's gonna see you especially not some weirdo with a camera exactly (laughs) and and he's so close with it and you know she just says how brenda says this is billy's art form this is his talent i just don't get it no he's clinically i don't really Yeah, I don't really know how him following people around and taking pictures of them peeing is art, but, you know. Yeah, I guess that's Billy and... Yeah. Just... (laughs) Uh, When, after this, the Fishers are all having breakfast, and Michelle, I don't know, have you watched the TV show Friends? I have... I really love Friends, so... <laughs> okay, so then you'll, you'll, you'll know exactly what I mean here. When the Fishers are all having breakfast, I got such a an early, early on Friends TV show vibe. <laughs> Nate walks in and he just asks everyone what's going on in their dating lives. Yeah. And it's, I just felt it's the same way when Chandler walks in and he would ask Ross or Rachel or how's their dating lives going and, you know are you sure you want to do that with whoever or fun Bob, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> HBO HBO does all these TV shows so well and I'm nitpicking here uh, because, you know, we're discussing the TV show. But it, that that one scene encapsulated in itself felt like a sitcom. Did you, do you know what I'm talking about? Did oh, you get I, that yeah, I totally know what you're talking about for sure. It, it seemed, and I mean, knowing Nate's character that he's the around his family anyway the more like happy free spirit guy but it just doesn't really make sense for him to walk in and be like so 
how's everyone's dating life going, you know? And it's such like a sitcom TV trope because I never walk up to my friends. I mean, I do, but I just, you know what? Never in my family setting would I walk down and ask my parent, you know, hey, how's that person you're dating? My, my sister, hey, what's up with Mike, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just an odd TV trope. I did love the moment, though, where Nate almost slips up that David is gay. Yeah. And I like, and it kind of teases what happens at the end with Angela and how, yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll see how she just sort of uh, blows that up. Oh, yeah. As, just blurts it right as, out. <laughs> as we last left off with Claire and Gabriel, he was feeling a lot of regret for the death of his, you know, younger six year old brother. And we just saw him crying in Claire's arms. Gabriel is cleaning up toys from Anthony to try and give to a neighbor. And we see how upset his mom is, and understandably so. Um, I want to see here if you can, um, if, if you share the same feeling. Sometimes as a funeral director, you know, I always wondered with families who are, you know, not taking the death so well of a loved one, mm-hmm. how it feels once it's over. Because the funeral process is overwhelming, and it's tiresome. But, you know, the sneaky benefit of it is having been so close to the death is that it keeps you occupied. Yes. But there comes a moment when all of that is done. And, you know, when I think of death and families, the the actual death never really has made me sad. Well, once I got into business, the death doesn't make me as sad as much as like the thudding finality of it weeks later. Yeah. You know, when that person is not there to call or you have to move, you know, the f- clothes or furniture, whatever it may be, uh, you know, us as funeral directors, we don't get to see that, you know, weeks later. Um, and just kind of how here the mother, this is her start of the grieving process. I, that part has always made me sad. And, you know, if, if we, if we provided, I mean, just as funeral directors, I know there's programs to help families facilitate but if Elsa's funeral director stayed in the family's lives for weeks and weeks and weeks, we would, in our caseload, we wouldn't be able to operate. Yeah, um, that's true. What do you think? I don't know. That, the, the, the moment everything is over and that person has to go back to their quote-unquote everyday life has always made me more sad than the actual death of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I f- agree with you there. It, the death it's, in and of itself is sad. But I feel like after the death occurs, it's business. You got to get stuff done mode. You have to keep moving. You have to keep doing it. The funeral's coming up. You have all this stuff you need to prepare. And and there are tons of people in your life surrounding you and trying to help you through that. Well, you know, even the day or so after the funeral, people have to go back to their lives. And Mm. for the person who's just lost someone, that can be overwhelmingly lonely you you just that person that died maybe you called them every day or maybe they lived with you or you were with them for 50 years and now they're just not there and you have little reminders of them everywhere you go and it's got to be hard to express that to people who aren't feeling it yeah and it's just that 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 thudding finality of it and like you said i mean imagine you wake up with someone 
X amount of years. Yeah. Or, or I mean, God, God forbid, a, a child, you know, you were caring for something. And all of a sudden, it's not there. Yeah. You know, there's, um, there's that mom syndrome. I don't know what it's called. But once they start school, uh, a mother or let me say a, a, a parent doesn't know what to do with themselves after the child goes on to school. But now put that in a death of someone. And yeah, that that part has always affected me more. The thought of it affects me more than the actual death. But that's not to say that the death isn't sad. Yeah. It just has always, you know, affected or stayed with me more. Yeah, um, I I have to agree with you there. And I know in doing the work that I do, like you said, if we stayed in people's lives for weeks and weeks to months afterwards... I mean, we would never get our job done with new cases, right, but, right, right. Um, you know, I think about all these people that I've helped and I, sometimes I'll give them a phone call, you know, how are you doing? How have you been? Mm-hmm. But, uh, you can't do that all the time and you can't do it with everyone. And it's gotta be so incredibly lonely to go through that and then not really have anyone to talk to about it and just like having those reminders of this person that's gone, just little things, you see it and it can set you off. Yeah, I, who knows what will set them off. Um, yes, and that's why sometimes, and I, to get into it when someone asks the question, it's so hard, but, you know, is your job hard? Our job, if, if I could, it's probably difficult to say this, our job is sort of easy once the funeral starts to happen on the funeral side of it, because I mean, we're we're glorified secretaries almost, it's just <laughs> the way where you know we're scheduling this and that, and we know who to call. Yeah, but we don't have to deal with, or you know, we don't get to deal with what we're talking about the weeks later. Yeah, you know, and that and that's to better professionals of psychologists or grief counselors, whatnot. But yeah, that's definitely better suited to them. Right. Uh, later on, Claire, to trying to cheer up Gabriel, brings him to the art gala to see Nate peeing on the wall. Uh, Claire is, I like, I like her little story arc here because she's being such a good friend. Whether, well, let me say whether she's being a friend or a romantic interest, we don't know yet, but, you know, and that's where Gabriel sort of opens up with the apology and uh, from, from Claire's standpoint, it's much appreciated, yeah. You know, just to get anything, an acknowledgement of it. Gabriel then mentions he's going upstate to visit his dad, and you know Claire's supposed to tag along, meet him by the lockers, and we'll get into that later on. To move on to Angela starting her first day, um, I guess on one hand it's refreshing for someone like Angela to be that open. But good God, yeah, like you close said, it up you a little have bit. to have some boundaries. Yeah, <laughs> keep it closed because that's too much, especially on your first day. Let right, the people right. get to know you a little <laughs> bit first before you open up that much. The little quarrel David has, and you know, you could chime in here for sure, is Angela just kind of lets it all hang out. Um, she's well endowed, and she's not, you know, she's not afraid to show it. I get what David is saying about showing some respect, um, but I mean, I have known guys who embalm with their shirt off. What? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, <laughs> no. l- let me say, let me say, it's guys older, a lot older guys. Um, uh-huh. 
they don't mean any disrespect when doing so. Yeah. I I don't see it as disrespect when they were embalming with their shirt off. Um, you know, Angela and, and I, I do you see it as disrespect? I, you, I I didn't expect that reaction with you from you from a guy embalming with his shirt off. Do you <laughs> see it as disrespect or No, I don't. The reason I said, oh, no, was purely from a um, personal uh, protective health. standpoint. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, no, I don't see it as a disrespect. I don't see how, I mean, her outfit, though inappropriate, I don't see how it's disrespecting anyone. I don't think she meant any kind of disrespect at all. She was just trying to be comfortable, as I'm sure the gentlemen that you're talking about that embalmed with their right. shirts off, they're just trying to be comfortable, but... I do also understand where David's coming from and wanting her to not be showing so much skin because of how traditional our industry is. Yeah, and you know, just kind of as we started speaking about it, it kind it kind of clicked in my head that it's David saying it and not Nate. Because even an episode an episode earlier, even when they were going through a slow time, David was buttoned up, suit and tie, and Nate was just. <laughs> tanning outside yeah um, and it's important that david's the one saying it not nate uh i could see i i see this is something where i see both sides of it i understand why david sees it as disrespectful but i also believe in a level of comfort she's not doing it to be disrespectful but i definitely see how it is yeah the the thing that bothered me the most and i recently rewatched this episode but it just bothered me like you were saying from a health standpoint um, yeah, yeah, that's really dangerous. Put you got to put some on, like, <laughs> and and just how much they're talking and going about this scene. David mentions on his way out, he just wanted to check in on Angela and, and you know see how her first day was. The amount of body issues she just reveals to them, I mean, it's crazy. Thing, this is her first day. Oh my and she's gosh! Talking about yeah. how. how gassy she is and whatnot it's just like good god and, you know the next day she's doing cosmetics and she's just having this way too open conversation with a guy on the phone yep and you know she's just revealing her sex life we're at day two now and you know i guess you're going to be my morality barometer here um <laughs> and just how i was speaking earlier the same way i pop in a bluetooth and listen to podcasts I'll also have conversations on the phone. Uh-huh. I don't have them nowhere near as open as this. What do you do you think do you think that's what, how do you feel about that me having a conversation while embalming? And if you could try I know you're in the industry but uh-huh. if you want to step outside just a little bit, what would you think of, you know, of that? Trying to get myself outside cuz being an embalmer I think yeah, it's not that big of a deal as long as you're paying attention to what you're doing too, you can have a conversation. Just like right. if you have two people in the prep room, they're not going to ignore each other while they're embalming. They're going to talk to each other. <laughs> right, um, right. Yeah, but coming from like a family perspective and they don't know this side of it, I could see how they could perceive that as being a little bit disrespectful. That yeah. you're, you're having a phone call while you're taking care of my grandma or, you know. So I could definitely see how that would be perceived as being disrespectful. I agree with what you're saying 100% because 
I don't know how I would feel if I knew, even in the business and as it's coming out of my mouth right now, I don't know how I would feel if someone else was embalming someone I loved and talking on the phone, even yeah. though I'm someone who puts on, you know, who does that. But I, you know, to, to, to add to that, you know, you can't, you, you don't last in the business or you don't, not that your rep means anything, but uh, how do I say this? You, you don't last in the business if you don't care about what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. While I, I, I totally 1000% could see how you would see this as disrespectful. Um, that's just something that kind of gets lost in the mix as the way we go about business, you know? Definitely. Um, yeah, I know. Um, it's It's a job for us. It's something that we're passionate about, but it's a job. So when you go, when any normal person goes into their job, they're going to have conversations with their coworkers and it's not going to be work related necessarily, you know? Um, And the same goes for when you're embalming. If, if we thought every second of every day about how devastating the loss was for the family (laughs) we would not get anything done because we would just be crying all day i i wouldn't be able to get anything done i would be sitting in the corner crying the entire time so like there is definitely a level of compartmentalizing that we as directors have to do or we're not going to be useful I guess that's a good way to put it, and that's and that's where you are. Um, I always have trouble saying this word, compartmentalization. Yes. Um, <laughs> we are. That, I, I guess that's what I'm doing when I have my Bluetooth in and I'm listening to podcasts or if I'm on the phone. It's it's. I guess it's sort of a disconnect there. Yeah. Uh, I am curious if someone, if if anyone's listening and they're outside of the business, and if you think it's disrespectful, please tell me because you know I could be persuaded on to not do it, but I don't like just how we were saying earlier. Um, you know, there's sort of a peacefulness to it, and that's just kind of been like, you know, my ebb and flow while embalming. David is helping serve food for the homeless, and again, I know it's a show about death, and we have busting out bras, dead bodies, a manic, depressive, bipolar man running around, but David having this sexual little dream sequence when serving the homeless man, I found that <laughs> so strange in a show where they do this stuff. And again, it's just listen to everything I just said before I prefaced it. Did you catch that at all with this 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 homeless man sexual vibe? Maybe yeah. I was supposed to connect the homeless part to it, but it was just odd. Yeah, I got to say uh, there are certainly some things in this show that I find more odd than others. Um <laughs> So, you know, the whole funeral embalming part doesn't bug me at all because I love that part of it. And then when he starts having random flashes about, like, we're talking about right now, the sexual fantasies while he's serving homeless people, that's a little strange to me. So Tracy shows up and a clarification I made on episode nine that I was actually calling this character Mitzi and she becomes a character later on. But this Tracy shows up and... You know, I love the subtle comment she makes about how the church is progressive and she just kind of looks, <laughs> you know, when she says the word progressive, she looks at David with an eye, <laughs> you know, obviously knowing David's sexuality. Um, I just like how she can't even say the word. Yeah. And even when uh, Keith shows up, you know, she's just like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 
um, I'm sure him rejecting her helped her to to figure that one out. <laughs> oh, but yeah, definitely as soon as Keith comes into the mix in that scene, she I think she gets it. <laughs> yeah. David goes to volunteer again later on the weekend. Keith is there. And <laughs> after a brief hello, David again has another dream vision. And <laughs> the same homeless guy he had a sexual fantasy with shows up to stab him and you know Keith sort of does a superman thing and just shows up in his police uniform it's funny just how you know now mind you this is David having visions all over the place cuz if you remember he had the broadway scene this sexual scene and now with this yeah. i mean david's just in a a state of euphoria just having these visions all over the place for 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 a normally sad character he's quite on the up and up he's he's at a better mental state i guess i could say yeah that definitely does come across for sure and i think the visions are a way for him to get some kind of release anyway because almost all the time he's putting on a very stringent serious front but on the inside he's not that not as serious as he would lead everyone to believe right right especially with these visions you're right yeah to get back to Angela and it's sort of the start of the final straw is when she just totally invades David's personal life. And, you know, for someone who's as guarded as David is, kind of how we just saying, Angela just bum rushing him about his sexuality. I mean, first of all, on a personal level, <laughs> how incredibly rude that is. And then on, a, on you know, that's your boss. Yeah. Um, you know. I love when a TV or, or, or a movie does this where <laughs> David's next words are, we need to fire her. But it's said, it's said when he's still in the room, but the words are said and they start to show when they're having dinner uh, with the Fishers. What Six Feet Under does great and you know it shows in this episode is at face value, the title of the show, The New Person, is about Angela. But in this scene where they're all having dinner... You know, we get where Ruth is talking about Nikolai and how she looks at him in a new light and how, you know, maybe they should try and look at Angela in the new light. I I liked here and, and it always warms my heart when the siblings sort of go about this is how David and Nate cover up for Claire on the fly. If you remember, she mentioned some school things she had to do and, you know, the way she presents it to her mom, there's the, sort of that sibling love where they just cover up without missing a beat, you know? Yeah. No, that is definitely an important thing to have with your siblings. And I feel I have two sisters. So I know that we all have definitely jumped in for each other in that sense as well. Mm -hmm. The scene where Angela and Ruth meet, um, (laughs) it's just a great contrast of the characters. Yeah. Just even the way they're eating. Ruth has her food like two hands on it and she's like nibbling on it and she's like so protective and guarded with it. Uh, and Angela is just bombarding her about everything and asking about her sex life. I, I, I guess there ha- there there's a medium between how Angela is and how closed off the fishers are. Uh-huh. You know, we're we're kind of on extremes on both ends. Um there's a medium there that I guess would be a quote-unquote normal person. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But Ruth and Angela is sort of the extreme, you know, ends of that. Totally extreme. Totally two extreme differences there. 
<laughs> we see here uh, Ruth is preparing for a night out with Nikolai, and you know she finds her fancy drinking glasses are broke, and it's a goblet, right? She says it's a goblet. Yes. I... Yes. Okay. So her goblet's broken. Yeah. And funnily enough, the Fisher brothers blame Angela, and it's you know because why not? I had no idea that Angela had did it, and I guess at the end of the episode we find out. Yeah. <laughs> just like how they just blame her without even. Knowing. I know after um originally watching it I watched it so long ago. So the other night I rewatched it and I mm-hmm. f- completely forgot that it was actually her that broke it. And okay. I immediately like jumped to her defense. Like how dare they blame her for that? <laughs> they just want to fire her so they're finding any excuse they can. And then when <laughs> you find out again later she actually did. I was like, "Oh." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I like I like how, you know, they were so quick to cover up for Claire. <laughs> yeah. And then they're so quick to blame Angela. Throw right? her you know, out to the wolves. They're with trying no to get proof rid of on her. Either. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> when Ruth and Nikolai are at the Russian restaurant, um, Nikolai's old friends or girlfriends show up. Yes. And, you know, they're sort of intimidating, but Ruth isn't one to be intimidated like this, just in the state she's in. You know, we see her having a great time, and it's such a an upper for to see Ruth having a good time. You know, her 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 poor soul is is a hurt one, and you know, seeing in her in this glory is nice. Yeah. When when one of the girls comes into the bathroom and Ruth is there, you know, and does sort of the uh, what is your intentions with my Nikolai? Just as she's speaking, Ruth has this you know freedom relieving moment where. She can't jeopardize this with Nikolai, not because of the dating, but because she has a job. She has that classic line when she responds to her is, you know, I've had the best time coming to this funny restaurant and have you yell at me in this restroom. Yeah. <laughs> she's adorable. You know, she's adorable about she how is. freeing and open she is with uh, Nikolai. Do you have anything on that bathroom scene? Just how, well, you know, it's supposed to be intimidating, but <laughs> it ends up Ruth realizing how free she is. Yeah. And... One of my favorite character arcs by far is Ruth. She mm-hmm. starts out just as this, and I mean, she still is at this point. She's starts out this mousy woman who doesn't really have opinions about anything and just kind of goes along with everything. And she just seems so sad all the time. But mm-hmm. slowly we start to see her coming out of her shell and doing things that she enjoys because she enjoys doing them and she wants to. And I thought it was so great that scene in the bathroom where she's been having a great time all night. This woman comes in to try to tell her to get lost, basically. And (laughs) they end up having a conversation. And Ruth (laughs) says what she says and is totally happy and fine and having a great time. She wasn't going to let that random woman come in and ruin her night. Right, right. Yeah, which I thought was yeah. so great that she was like, you know, whatever. We're having a great time anyway. <laughs> and, and you know, it's like only this character Ruth can make. Because it's not funny at all if I'm just telling you a funny restaurant. But just the way Ruth calls it a funny. Yeah. Uh, it's just so adorable and so funny, you know, for her character. Definitely. Yeah, because that is not a place. That you would ever imagine Ruth Fisher to be in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a great point. <laughs> Not anything like that would, knowing who she was from the first few episodes, you're like, why is she? Yeah. That's so out of character for her. 
when David and Keith go out to grab a bite after helping feed the homeless, uh, I think them two, at this point, because they're you know their character arc goes up and down, I think the two of them are adorable because Keith, you know, he's such a rock, and David is such like a, a mess, insecure, unsure of himself. You know, I I love the dynamic between them at this point in the relationship. Yeah. Uh, David invites Keith inside his room and sort of, you know, the title theme of the episode, a new person. uh, Keith line sort of parallels that when he says, you know, you've never invited me up to your room. And (laughs) with this scene here, I think Keith is messing with David. You know, they're hanging out the entire night. I, I, I guess they were being flirty a little bit, right? Yeah, definitely. Why else would you go up to his room? <laughs> uh, you have a history. It's totally not out of the realm for David to expect something to happen. Yeah, right? I have to agree with you on that. I mean, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for Keith to then be like, oh, no, I'm I'm with someone. He says he has a boyfriend or he's seeing someone, right? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, so why why even go there with David to begin with? I I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I guess I could see a relate, you know, a relationship has its bumps and perhaps Keith really did just want to talk. But did you have to go upstairs to do that? Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. There's there's a there's a complete stigma attached to do you want to come inside? Yes, definitely. That doesn't that doesn't mean it's a yes. It's not an invitation to anything, but this relationship and where there are I'm usually someone who always sides with Keith. I like how strong he is. I like how open he is. I like how much he's kind of waiting for David to be like that. But this is kind of just one moment where I was like, ah, that's messed up, man. <laughs> you, you don't you don't take the invitation to go inside and not give it up, you know? <laughs> well, maybe uh, also maybe on his, you know, to be on Team Keith for a second. Maybe okay. he just wasn't assuming that David would be so forward like that because that's true everything that we've seen about their relationship before david has always been the demure and he is quiet and he's not really out and open about uh his sexuality for sure so maybe keith didn't think he was gonna go down that road with him yeah in in the way that he did anyway yeah, no, that that's a that's a solid point for Team Keith. That's something I hadn't taken into consideration. Yeah, I just where I, I guess I guess in David's head with all the sexual tension he had, <laughs> uh, he was thinking one thing and David another, uh, Keith another. After this, David gets his sexual tension release when he calls this phone hotline, and again, it's it's uh, the show always manages to date itself. I wonder if in 2016 there's still phone hotlines to provide this. Um, you know, there probably still are. Who is so? using them? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, man, the idea for spending X99 a minute to do that. Um, yeah, it makes no sense to me. <laughs> I don't know why anyone <laughs> yeah. would want to do that. But, yeah, you know, there are people cheap. out there that are in all kinds of stuff. So Right. <laughs> And like we were talking earlier before about sibling moments, Nate and Claire have a great sibling moment. Um, Claire is freaking out. (laughs) And mind you, she's in high school. So, you know, she's freaking out about Gabriel leaving town. And what's best about this scene, and, you know, you could probably relate to this, as you said, you have two sisters, is, you know, only your brother or or your sibling can 
sort of bring you down to reality. It's it, it's a laugh out line when Claire is freaking out and <laughs> Nate just points out that she's only been gone for a day. And I don't even think it was a day at that point. It might have been for a few hours. Claire also has a great line when she says, you know, can I get upset without having to focus on what's really making me upset? <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, that that's a good that's a, a, a good portion of why I'm making a huge assumption here, but a huge amount of people who are upset at, for whatever reason, for whatever, that's probably part of it, right? You know, oh, yeah. you, just, you just don't want to deal with the reality of something and you're you're mad that you spilt your milk or they didn't get your coffee order right. Exactly, <laughs> you know? yeah. So a lot of the time I think that people can focus their feelings on something that doesn't it hasn't done anything like Mm -hmm. I left my car keys inside. Now I have to go back upstairs and go get the key, you know? So like if something, (laughs) something else is really bothering you, you try to focus your anger, your emotions on something really that doesn't really matter in the long run. To move to the Chenoweth storyline with Brenda, Billy and their parents. Uh, Billy has a big blow up after the art gala where the writer of the Charlotte's book was there and you know his father wasn't there he goes to his office well he goes to Feinberg the writer of the book's office destroys it he has another I'm not smart enough to know if it's a manic episode or or whatever that is and you know there's a whole big blowout there which leads them to tell Brenda to help them help Billy and have him committed it's funny you could say whatever you want about the Fishers and being at a funeral home but the Chenowitz are exponentially crazier. Oh my gosh, they really are. <laughs> they are like the most messed up part of the whole show is this family. <laughs> and it's just great in a show in a funeral, you know, a family in a funeral home. They don't even compare to the craziness. Not even close. <laughs> and you know, it's funny, you know, we get the reveal later at Brenda's that we we talked earlier in the episode how Brenda had thought Billy had tried to commit suicide. And what we find out here that he tried to burn the house down. Yeah. When Margaret, Brenda's mother, comes over and, you know, she's just trying to talk to her, feel her out about it. They're having this whole blow up about it. And, you know, I'm just sitting there watching Nate's face. And all I could think is like, Man, I don't care how pretty she is, how much money she has. You have to run. Oh my god! I I'm think a very, that, I'm a. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that just about every time Brenda's on screen, <laughs> get out of there, dude. Just go. Um, I'm a very understanding person, or so I think, and, and I try to live my life as open as possible, and you know, and as understanding. I can't see a reason why Nate would stay. Nate is a good-looking man. <laughs> He has options. Yeah. This is way too crazy for me. I'm, again, I prefaced it all with I'm understanding. There's no scenario where, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just don't feel the connection between, you know, I, if I felt the connection so strong to someone. But, oh, my God. Do you have to run if you're Nate? <laughs> yeah, seriously. And I mean, their chemistry as characters, it doesn't even seem like they like each other very much. Yeah, that chemistry that I would say is like, oh, it's worth staying around for. Yeah, I don't, I don't see or feel that at all. Yeah, they're not compatible with each other at all. It just, it makes 
zero sense to me that they choose to be together because they don't it really doesn't seem like they care for each other at all mm-hmm. so he's sticking around for some reason but it's certainly not that they love each other <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> here after well actually during the channel with freak out um nate gets a call that david fired angela and you know, it, it was great how he fired her. David just walks in the room. Angela's just yapping. And he just goes, you're fired. <laughs> so, so it's Angela... very similar to the beginning of the episode. I mean, he doesn't kill her. But, I mean, oh, wow, she's just right. yapping and yapping and yapping along. And he stops her with, you're fired. Like What, what yeah. a great... Um... Yeah, I didn't see that. That's really funny. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, I I really liked uh, that connection, definitely. Yeah. So Angela grabs her belongings and, you know, for someone who's been there for less than a week, she has quite a bit of belongings. I know. She brought her whole house into that (laughs) prep room. (laughs) I I mean, I've never had this much stuff, regardless of how long of a job I've had, but I mean, God bless her. And, you know, sort of like her, her exit interview or her discussion as she's leaving the funeral home with Ruth. And she's here talking Ruth and Angela. And Ruth, I'm a, rather, Angela talks about how scared she is around them and how she feels like she's on eggshells. And I'm sitting here like, you know, what episode did I just watch? You know, if that's her takeaway from her experience. You know, assuming this was her guarded and this is what angela watches what she says which i i I can't even uh, script i can't even write a character that would be not guarded i mean i (laughs) it's just a wild contrast of her feeling like she was on eggshells and that's what that would yeah actually that's her walking on eggshells (laughs) yeah seriously if that is her being guarded and walking on eggshells i can't even begin to imagine what it's like when she's comfortable with you i I literally can't write it because she i mean she's just you know are you gay i could set you up with men i had this sexual experience i can't write how much more open could you possibly be you know seriously (laughs) yeah it uh, that made no sense to me or she thought she was walking on eggshells (laughs) um no (laughs) but you know she does have a great line as she walks out and she just says i've never worked in a funeral home this depressing i love that line i love it let me say here it, it lends to the point that people think our jobs are so depressing and i guess to an extent it's not as happy or or uppity as other workplaces yeah when she dropped that line it made me think of a depressing funeral home i did work at and you know what's funny it's not the actual death or or the workload but it's and i guess like with anything right it's the people involved you know what she's saying there is i guess there's a, a double double meaning i mean she's referring obviously to the fishers um i just been experienced where the people are just so damn it's not it's not sad in relation to the work yeah it's sad to everything else when she said that line what did that bring out of you well i i agreed with her for sure i myself though i haven't worked in a whole lot of you know different funeral homes i have also never worked at a place that 
is so depressing as Fisher and Sons. Just <laughs> just because of uh, the people that you work with really do make a difference. And if that's how they behave all the time, closed off and upset, and it's just going to make your job miserable in anything yeah. that you do. And especially us dealing every day with grief and then going into the back office where your coworkers are and then having them act the way that the Fishers do, especially David and Ruth, right, right. it's just so depressing. <laughs> like, why it would make me not want to get out of bed and go to work in the morning. You know, and, and it's funny. When I watch the show, I think one thing, but once once we get to recording, I, I think a completely different thing because, yeah, like, I, I've had asshole bosses before. I've had great bosses before. David doesn't even file under asshole. He just files under depressing. Yeah, he's not. F- he's not mean to her. He right. just is like so closed off and not willing to have any kind of a conversation with her at all. I feel like there's nothing I can do that would impress David. You know, and that's that's probably such a bad work environment. You know, I'm. You don't. We're not children, and we don't need constant praise. But just to just to know you're appreciated. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. I, I he's not an asshole. He's just so closed off and and guarded that that yeah a miserable work experience. Definitely. Um, that being said, with Angela gone, you know Nate has to go bring back Rico, who's been working at Kroner. And again. I always I have to give that this is a TV show disclaimer. If you remember this scene, Nate is just barging into the embalming or the prep room. Yeah, why is no one stopping him? <laughs> and he's you just know? wearing like regular plain clothes. Like I could see how maybe it could happen if he were wearing a suit or some scrubs. He just rolls in there in his <laughs> jeans. No one stops him. How, who is allowing this random man to walk you know, into their prep room? On top of, yes, the the access he would have to have not yeah. being an employee. Add to that that this is his direct competition. Yes. I mean, theoretically, he could go in and... How, how could he just walk into a, his main competitor, who we find out is trying to throw him... On you know, trying to bring down his business, just walks into the prep room. It's again, it's a TV show. There's that disclaimer, but can't they have just had a phone call? Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess maybe it was more more of a scene. Maybe this is something where we would have to lean on a director for or a writer. But yeah, when I saw it and he just shows up, I'm like, well, what the how? how? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how did he get in there? Who opened the door and let him in? Is there no lock? On the front door? Right, like, right. Is and, there and, no and code? If, <laughs> if you worked at a funeral home or you don't even have to work at a funeral home, there is – now, mind you, the security measures aren't, you know, a fingerprint and whatever, but there's there's always a lock. There's either yes. a finger code or you have to go through an extreme other part of the funeral home to even get to the Exactly. Room. Like you at least have to walk through the front door of the mortuary. How has right. no one stopped you at the front door? <laughs> Uh, (laughs) so we see here that Rico and Nate have a resolution of sorts and we find out the job was nothing as promised to Rico 
I know you're fairly young in your career. Have you had any, I guess, if you want to take it outside of the funeral industry, have you ever had an experience like that where the interview was promised one thing and then it just turned out to be awful in a bad way? Oh, well, um, I, I won't name names. <laughs> yep, yep, when no I names. was interviewing um, originally for my apprenticeship when I was in Oregon, I interviewed with a funeral home, and the first interview, I was promised uh, a lot of really great stuff. It sounded like it was going to be a perfect fit, and I was really excited about it. And then I went to the second interview with a different person, and it was totally flipped around. Wow. Completely. I was going to only be making $10 an hour, and I was mostly going to be doing groundskeeping at the cemetery, and all this stuff that was the complete opposite of what I was promised in my first interview. Um, mm. So I didn't even accept that job because if that's, yeah, if that's how yeah. you're going to play games to begin with, probably don't want to be working for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I never have had a work experience like that, but I had that interview experience and wow. Mm-hmm. I have sort of a, I, I don't know, most people would probably, I don't want to say find this crazy. I, I'll, I'll say most people would have not done this and it's not me showing courage. I think it was me sh- not showing uh, uh, smarts or, or, or whatever. I moved from one state to another pretty far, about 1,300 miles in between. Wow. I had never even been in the city that I moved to and... Before I moved there, I interviewed, we did everything over the phone, funeral director uh, to work at a funeral home. I had never met my manager or my coworkers. It was, you know, it was all phone and emails. And it amazingly, now keep in mind, I had never met them or anyone and I had never even been to the city. Uh, it all worked out. Wow. Uh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't last long with the company, but it wasn't because of anything it i was not undersold or oversold anything and i expect to find that different just other other circumstances happen but throughout my short career you know 10 years i was never and and i've 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 moved places you know i've moved companies um i have was never given i've never had a bad interview experience where you're going to be promised this and you know you walked into into something completely different but what's funny is I have 10 years doing that. I've never had that experience. You've had, what's total for you? Two, three, four? Um, about... Just your entire funeral career. About four years. Yeah, four years and you've had one. You know, this is funny. I yeah. I haven't had one you did. Um, so Rico, we see we'll get back with the Fishers and, you know, we'll see how that plays out over the next few episodes, especially with Kroner. Uh, As our episode wraps up, Claire is at Gabriel's mom's house and she realizes there's a misunderstanding of sorts of the father. And, you know, she gets a quick flashback, uh, a realization of Gabriel saying goodbye. And something the show doesn't do too much, but we get sort of a cliffhanger of whether or not, I mean, I guess committed suicide, right? Yeah. That's what we're led to assume. Yeah, that was yeah. definitely my first thought when, you know, when his mom said, well, that's his stepdad, and she immediately thinks of goodbye, I thought, oh, no, he killed himself. 
Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't expound. I don't, you know what? Even if I was to discuss spoilers here in future episodes, I don't remember how it plays out. I haven't watched the future episodes yet. So being that we just finished the episode, is there anything you wanted to touch back on or any other closing thoughts regarding it? No, I mean, really the line that stuck with me the most out of the whole thing was when Angela says, I've never worked at a funeral home as depressing as this. It's a great line. It really is. And it's so true for my experience anyway. And for a lot of the funeral directors that I have worked with, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that they would agree with her that there is not a funeral home as depressing as Fisher and Sons. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, when people ask us, is it sad what we do and, you know, whatever, you could go through the whole thing. But yeah, like (laughs) I would not want to work there. Yeah, no, no, no. And not only is it, that David himself is closed off and doesn't want to talk. Ruth, for the most part, is the same way as David, doesn't want to talk, very shut off. Claire always has some kind of drama going on. And (laughs) Nate is also like an emotional roller coaster. So to have all of those types of personalities all living at the place that you work, I I wouldn't be able to do it. (laughs) There's no way. it's 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 episode 10 of season one but that's like one of the most uh outstanding lines said so far oh definitely it's such a it's such a captivating line to describe the series so far so michelle that wraps up our episode thank you for joining me this week oh you're welcome thank you for having me this is fun yes uh, you can subscribe to Digging Six Feet Under on iTunes. You can email me at diggingsixfeetunder at gmail.com. You can tweet at me at diggingpodcast. I post these on Reddit. You could find me there at reddit.com backslash r backslash six feet under for my post. And we're also now on Facebook at Digging Six Feet Under. Uh, join us next week as we'll be discussing episode 11 of season one of Six Feet Under titled The Trip. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under, and the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.